You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon, reporting for WFHB. This is Deke Hager. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, March 6th, 2023. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Zero Rose speaks with Dr. Joel Furman, best-selling author and renowned physician specializing in preventative nutrition and natural healing. This interview segment is titled Foods or Fads, Do's and Don'ts. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have Activate, narratives from people making positive change, done in collaboration with the Bloomington Volunteer Network. But first, your daily headlines. On March 1st, the Bloomington City Council Committee of the whole meeting, Deputy Mayor Mary Catherine Carmichael, summarized the actions taken thus far by the Office of the Mayor in creating a nonprofit organization, CBCI, to help the city in implementing special works projects. Uh, After months of research, outreach, and discussion with various experts, the City of Bloomington has determined that a new nonprofit 501c3 organization offers the best option to assist the city with special work beyond the scope of its core missions to advance this unprecedented level of project activity. The preliminary steps needed to create a 501c3 nonprofit have been taken and outlined in a memo shared with City Council and the community on January 12th. On Friday, March 3rd, that's this coming Friday, four community members will be appointed to this City of Bloomington Capital Improvements, Inc., what will be known as CBCI going forward. Uh, Mayor John Hamilton has identified Mick Reniason, Sarah Bowerly-Dansman, John West, and Valerie Pena to be the first four members to serve on the CBCI. Under the draft bylaws of the CBCI, the Bloomington City Council is identified to appoint a fifth member. The organizational meeting of the CBCI will be held uh, in the McCloskey Room. Again, that's on March 3rd at 12.30 p.m. uh, here in City Hall at 401 North Morton Street. There will be a Zoom option for public attendance. Uh, That link is available online, by the way, as we always uh, put the Zoom links with our meeting announcements. Pardon me. The meeting will begin with incorporator and city controller Jeff Underwood appointing the directors, and then the directors will will discuss and adopt the bylaws. The CBCI will potentially oversee major projects that involve city ownership of land and structures, but not core city services or functions. And the CBCI's initial focus will be on Hopewell um, in the immediate future. Thank you. Councilmember Isabel Piedmont-Smith asked Deputy Mayor Carmichael how the CBCI would be financed. Um, What are the funding sources for the... um, I always get the acronym wrong. CBCI. CBCI. Uh, Thank you, Councilmember Piedmont-Smith, for that question. Uh, The funding sources will be the RDC and uh, money from the City of Bloomington. So you will be asked. You'll have a great deal of influence on on the work of the CBCI. You'll have to approve uh, funding uh, through appropriations for the work, just as you do now for city employees through the budget and for um, contractors. 
And the Redevelopment Commission, the RDC, gets most of their money through TIF revenues. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Thank you. Piedmont Smith clarified with Carmichael about when the amount of spending by the CBCI would require approval by the council. Council member Piedmont Smith. Just to follow up on this same line, um, it's my understanding that uh, the city council has to approve expenditures over $5 million from the RDC. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Thank you. The council then moved into a report from the Committee of Council Processes regarding the removal of Greg Alexander from Bloomington's Traffic Commission. Councilmember Matt Flaherty delivered the findings of the committee, the first being the withdrawal of the resolution to remove Alexander. Instead, the commission suggested that he should be given time to respond. So uh, our work on the committee, we sought to apply relevant legal guidance to that question and uh, ensure that any removal, if pursued by the council, is done lawfully. So in doing so, the committee reached several recommendations that are outlined in the third section of this report, and I'll go through those now. 3.1, substantive due process considerations. First, the committee recommends that the motion for removal on the table be withdrawn. The committee reached this conclusion because it believes the motion does not adequately describe the conduct, statements, and or omissions that are the basis of the proposed removal. This raises concerns with respect to fairness and substantive due process. So to address these concerns, the committee recommends that a motion for removal uh, should, that a new motion for removal should be narrow, specific, and sufficiently clear that council members, members of the public, and Mr. Alexander fully understand the specific conduct, statements, and or omissions that have led to the proposed removal. 3.2, procedural due process considerations. The committee also recommends that Mr. Alexander be given written notice of his proposed removal and allowed five business days to respond in writing to the specific allegations and proposed basis for removal. This recommendation parallels procedural requirements from Bloomington Municipal Code for removals for absenteeism and should provide sufficient procedural due process. Similarly, if the council votes in favor of Mr. Alexander's removal, he should be notified in writing about the removal and the council's reasoning. 3.3, cause for removal. Based on legal precedent and advice from council attorneys, the committee also recommends that a council member making a motion for removal not only clarify what specific statements or conduct are the basis, but also clarify or demonstrate with evidence, if available, how the named conduct has diminished Mr. Alexander's ability or fitness to perform his duties on the traffic commission. This will help ensure the council is following the appropriate legal standard with respect to what constitutes sufficient cause for removal. With respect to 3.4, free speech concerns, um, if Mr. Alexander is removed from his appointment, depending on the statement cited as the basis for the removal, he may be able to challenge it based on uh, free speech protections under the First Amendment. Such a claim would be analyzed using uh, the Pickering test, which is covered earlier in the report. Council attorneys assessed possible First Amendment claims with respect to many of Mr. Alexander's statements brought into question in recent weeks and provided legal advice to the council on which statements should probably not be considered a basis for removal. Additionally, in assessing these statements, council attorneys advised that most likely none of the statements in question to date amount to obscenity, fighting words, or true threats as those terms are legally defined. If statements did meet those legal definitions, they would constitute unprotected speech. Councilmember Stephen Volan said that he thinks they need to take their time to establish the process in which someone is removed from a board or commission. You know, I, I find uh, difficult to accept this, what I consider to be a reactionary motion, that there are better ways to handle this, as I've been saying consistently. Um, this process, you cannot have a process that's due if it's made up on the fly. Like we're, we're scrambling because we've had this unprecedented situation that deserves uh, 
a, I mean, to me, a due process is one that was considered uh, soberly outside of the, um, of any given case. And here we are being asked to uh, consider a case. Um, and uh, Mr. Rollo rightly recused himself from the consideration of the initial motion because he made it, uh, even though he's sitting on the, the committee, uh, the special committee on council processes. Um, I want to suggest that that is the direction forward here, um, that uh, Mr. Rollo can and should take part in establishing a process that is due and not overly broad for future such situations. That would also apply to Mr. Alexander. Um, uh, as I've said earlier, this is a matter for rebuke. There should be an intermediate level of um, of uh, punishment uh, than simply uh, to immediately move to strip someone of their uh, appointment. The council withdrew the resolution to remove Alexander. However, a new resolution will potentially be considered at a future meeting. Next, the council considered a resolution to authorize the renewal of the outdoor dining program in the downtown corridor. Special projects manager Chaz Mottinger shared... They collaborated with Bloomington Engineering to address Trinity Episcopal Church's concerns about the outdoor seating area blocking off access to their building. We believe with the new ADA space being put in by April 1st, and we've been guaranteed by pub the Director of Public Works that that'll, that space will happen by April 1st, and the program would, to remind you, start on April 3rd. So before the program starts, there would be an extra space. We're also looking into um, engineering's plan for even more additional ADA spaces throughout Kirkwood as a whole. Um, so hopefully that can happen this year as well. Um, and we're also looking into maybe not a drop off pickup zone, but perhaps like limited two hour parking, though we're not sure about the feasibility of that. But with the additional space in Grant Street being open again, because it had construction last year, we believe that there would be more convenience and relief for the parishioners. Um, and especially since we want to point out the true ADA entrance is on Grant Street. So it is not the ramp on Kirkwood, it is on Grant Street. We, again, we've talked to the church and they wrote us a nice letter which we sent to you and we have a letter of support from them saying that they believe that this would be a good compromise and they also agreed. So that we're really glad that we came to a solution. The council voted to renew the expanded outdoor dining program. The next Bloomington City Council meeting will be held on March 8th. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Zero Rose speaks with Dr. Joel Furman, best-selling author and renowned physician specializing in preventative nutrition and natural healing. This interview segment is titled Foods or Fads, Do's and Don'ts. This week, the conversation begins with our guests discussing various vegetable oils and whether or not they are good for you. Zero Rose has more. And is the, uh, the vegetable oils becoming oxidized? rancid is, is that a problem in itself because i mean it's it they're in everything these vegetable oils are in every and anything that's in any way processed pretty much 
what are the uh, direct problems that those cause, which is so pervasive in the average person's diet. That's correct. Even glycidal from the, the extraction chemicals for oils, the chemical extraction leaves glycidal residue, which is a toxin that's in baby formulas even for the oil they put in baby formulas. But of course, the oils have these toxins in them. But besides the fact when you heat an oil, you form more rancid and carcinogenic genotoxic and cytotoxic compounds, dangerous compounds from heating oils. That's why there's a relationship between fried foods and such a higher rate of cancer, particularly fried foods and, and, and Crohn's disease and colitis and autoimmune conditions. We have, a, a you know, a, so we're talking about people, you know, French fries and whatever it is you're frying in oil or cooking in oil, fried chicken, because obviously frying foods is very damaging. So, yes, the, the idea of cooking in oil and, and, and heating oils and using oils is a recent phenomenon in human history. Don't forget, we're, you know, humans have been on this planet for hundreds of thousands of years. It's only the last thousand years, one of the hundreds of thousands of years, only the last probably few hundred years that we're using oils. Even even people um, in the Mediterranean countries a hundred years ago hardly used much oil, very little, you know, as a competitive total cow, which has increased radically in the last in the last few generations. But in any case, but then in those days, people were walking behind a plow, working in the fields eight hours a day. Now they were sitting on computers. It's 120 calories a tablespoon. And the average American consumes 500 extra calories from oil. Where are you going to burn those calories off if you're sitting down? Unless you have a physical job, unless you're a professional athlete, or you're digging ditches all day long, or, or working behind a plow, in the, you know, with a with an 800 pound plow and an ox up and down your fields for nine for 10 hours a day, there's no way you're going to keep your weight off if you're sitting around pouring oil over your food too. And people don't recognize how dangerous the fat on the body is too, because fat cells spew out. Um, cytokines, lipokines, and reactive oxygen species because they're not adequately perfused with blood supply. Don't uh, low oxygenated tissue, and the fat cells make you insulin resistant, so then make your glucose circulate higher and make your insulin production go higher and produce more estrogen, so they're hormonally setting you up for later for cancer. So we have the so we have people that are totally confused and misinformed about their bodies, and they think they can't lose weight. They think it's impossible because everything they try doesn't work. Because they don't really understand that they, they don't, unless they get enough nutrients in their tissues and eat enough vegetables, their appetite's going to be, um, they're going to be like a calorie craving monster. They can't stop wanting to crave excess calories and feeling they need the extra calories for their to keep their energy up unless they fuel the body with enough high nutrient foods. So the diet industry has let them down too. There's all these fad and scam diets that don't work. Uh, is, is olive oil a, a better alternative as it's generally? kind of portrayed in the semi-enlightened circles. I mean, when you start getting into this stuff, there's always recommendations for and, and against, depending on which kind of guru you go to. Just because olive oil is a better oil than other types of oils, or maybe has is somewhat better, less dangerous, it's still not as good as eating a whole nut or a seed or a whole olive or a whole avocado. Or a whole, It's still, the, the, for example, the Prevamid study showed a 15% reduction in heart attack deaths when people used extra virgin olive oil instead of other fats like butter and other oils, they had an improvement in heart attack deaths when they switched to olive oil, but that went down by 15%. When they took the oil away and they had people use nuts and seeds instead of oil, their heart attack rates went in the group went down by 60%, not 15%. So just because it's better than something else doesn't mean it's good if there's something else that's still better. It's always what you can compare it to. You know, eating eggs might be better than eating donuts. That doesn't make eating eggs good. If you compare eating eggs to beans, beans are 10 times better than eating an egg as far as their ability to extend lifespan. 
So the eggs might be better than donuts. So it's all what you're comparing it to. So, so people are fooled. So the egg industry is going to promote all these studies comparing egg, you know, putting eggs in the diet, but people are eating tons of meat. So it doesn't matter. They ate some extra eggs, but when they're going to make studies. They're going to, you know, make them design not to show that eggs look too bad or the same thing. We could make anything not look too bad based on what we compare it to. But if we want to compare it to the best type of foods and the best diet, that's where you really got to delve into reading thousands of studies to see where the best, long, the most longevity, the lowest rates of cancer, the longest lifespans occur, what foods are linked to longer lifespan and have the, have a you know a threshold effect that, you know, when you seal and, and we're talking here about, that's what we're talking about now is making the diet a, a higher degree of excellence, which then enables you not only to be healthier, but happier more at peace with yourself and more satisfied with the right amount of calories. So you don't have to be on a diet to lose weight. You're just enjoying the healthy foods you're eating and you're automatically losing weight because you're a, because now you've become, I could say a health nut, which then I, which I call a nutritarian. Actually the word health nuts, not bad because I'm telling people eat nuts and seeds. So health nut, right. is a pretty good word, but nutritarian is my word that represents a person eating healthfully Up next, we have Activate, narratives from people making positive change, done in collaboration with the Bloomington Volunteer Network. Today's episode features Aubrey Cedar of the Community and Family Resources Department at the City of Bloomington. We turn now to the latest installment of Activate on WFHB Local News. Welcome to Activate, featuring stories of inspiration from your community members who stand up for what they believe in and encouraging you to live your passion, make a difference, and get involved. Well, Aubrey Cedar, Office Manager and Program Assistant with the Community and Family Resources Department, welcome to Activate on the WFHB Local News. Thanks for having me, Kate. Thank you for being here, Aubrey. So first of all, just tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to work with the Community and Family Resources Department over there at the city. Uh, yeah, sure. So like pretty much everybody who works at CFRD, which is our nice acronym for Community and Family Resources Department that you'll hear me use, I'm a multi-hyphenate kind of a person. I do a lot of different things. I have a lot of experience in event programming. I had a previous life in, in radio and podcasting. I have a theater degree and a arts and cultural management degree. So taking all of those things and then a lot of practical skills from years of being in the service industry as well, you come up with a pretty good toolkit for um, working at the Community and Family Resources Department because our mission is all about uh, making quality of life in Bloomington better for everybody who lives here through getting people involved with city programs and through delivering programs, even publications and in radio shows like this one that give people an opportunity to get involved um, on a larger level with their community and with making that community better. 
Yeah. So I got involved um, after lots of work that I had done in the community. Um, like many jobs, I saw an open job posting and knew that this would give me an opportunity to use my skills and to also further develop them um, because of the wonderful people who work in the department who will, you know, teach and help me grow. In my role as office manager and programming assistant, I obviously work with Michelle, who is the director of the volunteer network. We work on programming, but then, you know, I, you know, I help, I help all of the programmers with the things that they're doing, whether they need design help or they need, you know, financial secretary stuff, notary stuff, all of the little bits and pieces that make events and programming happen. I can help with all of that stuff. So I support that effort in terms of supporting volunteerism through my role as a person who has been involved in service my whole life through in a lot of different ways. My family has a long history of volunteerism in the community. That's how I, I do a lot of volunteer support. But outside of supporting Michelle and her volunteer network, there's not a lot of things that my role does to directly talk about volunteerism. Most of the time, one of the things I do in the department is I'm the one that was always in the office because people do call us to get connected to resources, people who really need uh, just really basic direct services. And so I'm often talking to folks who they don't really have extra time to do any kind of volunteerism. I'm talking to folks who need you know the basic services that are possible in Bloomington because we do have so many volunteers. So yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of coming on the other side. Um, and Michelle's trying to get more people in to volunteer so that we can help the folks that I'm responding to. I think of all that I do, my favorite thing is always going to be the like event days when you get to go and you've done all this like fiddly stuff uh, that that is involved in, in event making. I know everybody who's listening who's done an event understands that it's like the recipe is like a ton of anxiety and like chasing people and filling out fiddly forms. And then you get to the day and you've like set up the space and then people start coming in. And I remember I got to be a part of Fiesta del Otoño, which is a 17, this was the 17th year, 2022 was, of Fiesta del Otoño. And I just thought it was so amazing because you see how much that it means to people to have, especially the cultural festivals, and to be able to, you know, bring their whole community together to celebrate who they are. And that was really, that was really moving and motivating to see that event pulled off after so much of that work. I think it's definitely the event days when everything that you have done comes together and you see the outcome of all of your insistence on excellence and hard work. If anyone wants to know more about the city's community and family resources department, where should they go? So you can always, always go to our website because, I mean, everything that I've said today is really just a drop in the bucket of what we do. So um, if you go to the City of Bloomington website, that's bloomington.in.gov, you will find our page on that website. If you just said, you know, there's an area where you can look at departments and you'll find us. We're right up there at the top. And you can take a look at not only everything that we do, but there's a lot of cool guides there that you can print out. We just put out a quick reference guide, which is kind of like one, if you print it, you can just like slap it up on your refrigerator. I like to put it inside of, you know, like my cabinet door. And it's got all of these great numbers for social services that you should have, including like safety and emergency numbers, but also including things like uh, organizations that serve children and families, organizations that serve, you know, 
unhoused individuals. That way you always have that close at hand if you need to give help to somebody. And those are, you know, all of those organizations on there are our like go-to organizations. Um, you know, we don't play favorites. We love all of our organizations in town and all of them have a tremendous capacity to help everyone. But, you know, for quick reference, we only have so many spots. So the other resource guide that we have is the downtown resources map and guide. And that is printable online as well. And that is not only a guide to resources downtown for unhoused folks, it is also a map on the other side of where all of those resources are downtown so that if you have somebody who comes to your organization or your business and they need help, right? And they don't have a cell phone, they have access to that. It's not only, it's not only where it, where it is, it's also a map of where all of those are. So you put that out, got a bunch of other guides there. So really connect with us through that website. Um, it'll also give you all of our contact info and Anyone is welcome. If you have questions about what we do or you need help for a specific situation, do not ever be afraid to call us and ask us for help. Related to Activate, um, we're going to have our Be More Awards. Our Be More Awards are a great opportunity for um, if you are a volunteer or if you are a volunteer organization, it's a great opportunity to come together to celebrate volunteerism. We did it before the pandemic. Lucy and Beth Savage pioneered this event. It's kind of like the Oscars for volunteerism, which I think is really cool because volunteers, you know, they run this community like so many things would not be possible without the volunteer spirit that we have. There are a lot of really cool award categories that you can nominate your favorite volunteer or volunteer group for. So please join us for that because it's going to be fun. And if you're a volunteer, you deserve to be celebrated and to celebrate with all of your folks. So yeah, uh, look out for more information on the Be More Awards. You've been listening to Activate, a co-production of WFHB and City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build an empowered, vibrant, engaged community. To find more information about volunteering in your community, visit bloomington.in.gov volunteer. The City of Bloomington Volunteer Network aims to inspire, support, and celebrate volunteerism in the community by connecting volunteers of all ages and interests with opportunities to serve. They invite you to get involved and make a difference by visiting bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org or emailing getconnected at bloomington.in.gov to learn more. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolar.com.
You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider and Abe Shapiro in partnership with CATS Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Zero Rose. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Dee Hager. And I'm Noel Herhusky Schneider. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcast. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 